The world is a confusing place, filled with all manner of shimmering distractions that take our conscious mind and our immortal souls and subvert them into the most basal of human emotions. Can any one of us who considers ourselves a spiritual being truly look around the carnival at the barkers, performers, and the caged animals and believe, even momentarily, that any of this is as it should be? My name is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana, distiller, historian, occasional tinker, reenactor, and your host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Perhaps that movement you caught out of the corner of your eye was more than a shadow, that weight on your shoulder more than fatigue. I have lived my whole life like this, aware, awake, and waiting for the next experience, positive or negative, always apprehensive, always analyzing. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. I believe from societal observation that others are becoming acutely aware. I believe that many are being influenced by forces unknown in a negative and spiritually deprived way. I see soft disclosure in every corner of pop culture. Join us as we pull back the curtain, as the veil thins and reach with us into the ether to reclaim the truth. But if you have ghosts, you have everything. Hey guys, it's that time of the week again for a new episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. This week we're joined by a special guest, Jared Leon Henry. Some of you might recognize him from a certain moonshine-related TV show. Some of you might recognize him from Facebook. And certainly all of you who enjoy distilled spirits should check out his distillery, the Rio Grande Distillery. We had a great time with Jared, and I was able to get Kim in here, the distiller's wife, to be a part of the recording of this episode. We're going to be interviewing a couple other distillers and their experiences with haunted distilleries in the coming weeks. We've got a lot of cool shows lined up still yet this season, but i got a couple things to ask you guys as an audience very quickly before we jump into the episode. First and foremost, if you haven't experienced any kind of paranormal, supernatural, 14, high strangeness, whatever that you experienced yourself or with someone else that you would like to share with us. We're really looking for content. We really want new, fresh stories. We don't want to repeat what all the other paranormal shows or supernatural shows out there do on their episodes. I set out from the very beginning with a show to make sure that the content was always unique as new as possible and as interesting as possible because one thing that I didn't like about a lot of the existing shows, not all of them, mind you, some of them are excellent, is that maybe one out of ten really got my attention and the other nine were kind of filler. I don't want to be doing any filler shows, guys. So please reach out to me with any of your experiences at bishopshomegrown at gmail.com and we'll get you on the show and get the story out to the world. You can do this anonymously as well as if you want to. You don't even have to use your own real name. We are okay with that. We just want to collect 
the stories. The second thing that I want to ask you guys to do is please, if you like the show, give it a five star rating. Share it with everyone that you know if you would. It would help us out greatly to build our audience. We want to build this show as big as what we possibly can uh, while still maintaining great content with the understanding that we also have to have seasons off from time to time. We need your help to do that. As well, as always, please check out thealchemistcabinet.com and check out the store, the warehouse there, where you can buy all of our unique merchandise, including some very cool new stuff that is in the works. Guys, set back, relax, do what you do when you listen to our show. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll catch you again next week. Love you. Here with Kim in the uh, tiny bedroom studio, and we got... Uh, <laughs> Jared Leon Henry uh, on the other line with uh, some of his workers at his distillery. And uh, again, kind of crossover stuff that we like to do with if you have ghosts, you have everything where, you know, if the paranormal sort of runs into my distilled spirits career, uh, all the spirits better. Spirits meet spirits. Yeah, spirits yeah. meet spirits, right? <laughs> so this is uh, this is going to work out great. We've, we've done a couple of these with different people. We did one with Hood Sommelier, uh, actually two with Hood Sommelier and one with Christy and uh, and my buddy Nate Cox. So I like it when my distilled spirits industry thing kind of crosses over. So this is awesome. Um, but uh, I talked to Jared recently uh, through uh, social media and he said he had some stories about his distillery. And uh, I figured that this would be the perfect show to get those stories out there. And hopefully, Jared, here's what I'm hoping for, man. I hope that other like distillers that are out there, because we did a whole haunted distilleries episode. Right. I, yeah. I hope that other distillers that are out there will hear your episode and maybe want to come forward and talk about their paranormal experiences, whether it's at the distillery or outside the distillery and whether it's ghosts or whether it's right. UFOs. And that's or... going to pull a different market of people to them. Right. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just more exposure one way or the other. So. Right. Yeah. Sure don't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and about the distillery. Okay, well, I uh, I opened up a distillery three years ago uh, with and got my, my federal permit and, and paid for my state permit and started the process. And six days later, you know, they closed everything for COVID. And I got going in another location away from here, about 15 miles up the road in Los Fresnos, Texas. I live down here by South Padre Island and Port Isabel. And um, I was there for almost a year and they started a big road construction project, kind of plastered me over. So I started looking for a location uh, and I knew this building had been uh, empty for um, several years five six years that that i knew for sure it had been empty and so uh, we kind of started a dialogue with the owner and um this is on the, the lighthouse square in port isabel texas and uh the 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 place itself kind of goes um uh, uh history goes back several hundred years into the spanish because it was one of the only deep water ports uh, once you get from Tampico, Mexico, all the way up until you get really to Corpus Christi before there was a natural break. So naturally, it was a place where people 
sailors to come and and load up it has some pirate history with john mafuth and uh different stuff but it was also used by the military uh to unload for the spanish-american uh or the mexican-american war uh it, so it was a place for loading and unloading uh as well for the wars and and so it, it goes way back uh you know even pre pre-colonial um, yeah. and of course it's always been a because there's deep water out in the front and you go up on the whole rim of texas this water's 18 inches deep there's, there's nothing there ships can't go but here it can they can naturally come in through the jetty and and harbor up so they built a lighthouse here naturally uh following uh in the early 1850s and the lighthouse has, has been a centerpiece of the town ever since then um abandoned for many years and then took uh, back up by the state made a state park um but this building itself of course is right across from the lighthouse keeper's house and the lighthouse itself although the lighthouse keeper's house is across the street and the lighthouse is another 40 or 50 feet behind them up on a little knoll that was built for it and this building uh was first nobody knows for sure but we know that for certain it was put up in the early 1920s and started out as a small um small it's been added to over the years uh because it's you know it's very old now uh at least for here it's a very old building second oldest building in port isabel but the hurricanes destroyed most of the other ones it, anyway it it uh started out as a ticket office to a to the ferry that took people over to south padre island uh back in the day they the first thing they did was built a bridge that was like railroad ties and stuff and people kind of that floated and they drove across it until a hurricane wiped it out then they made boats that ferried people over to south padre island from this particular location this was the ticket office uh and then as it it they uh built up the, the bridge that came across the original wooden causeway we call it the, the first causeway uh it was the ticket office for that and it was until the early 1960s when the, the queen isabella causeway was built here and then after that it's been various things flower shops bars restaurants smokehouses um now a distillery so it, it goes way back um, yeah and i found it totally gutted it remodeled it we we you know top to bottom went through this poor thing and uh turned it into the rio grande distillery moved here to the lighthouse square uh and uh began our our little adventure yeah yeah i've been i've been seeing the pictures uh on social media and kind of keeping up with it where i can um and it looks it looks like a really cool location and to have that history alongside of it uh you know i think stuff like that's awesome you know and and of course once you start digging around in the bones of an old building like that too and and on a piece of land that's had that much action over the years you're probably going to stir up some stuff right and it, it yeah i'm sure of that right right well it, it also seems like too you know distilled spirits to me I've, I've talked about this on the show in the past but you know they're a they're a key to a door they open a door right and i think sometimes some of these um some of these actual spirits they like that we're creating these keys to open doors and and uh they well, sort of yeah. they, they also yeah. when you give libations you can pay tribute yeah. so they've got the angel share right there right so 
you're constantly feeding their energy when you have the angel share just evaporating for them. So, right. yeah, so, there's something going on. Um, you know, they're, they're called spirits for a reason, you know, exactly. That. Yep. Yep. So tell, tell us a little bit about the, the products that you're going to make too, because I want the audience to hear about what you guys are actually making there as well, because, you know, hopefully, uh, some of the people that listen to this that, you know, they'll, they'll get interested in coming there, you know, for both types of spirits potentially. So, yeah, sure. So, uh, we, our kind of flagship has been our white mule moonshine that we started. Um, nice product, a 90 proof clear moonshine. And then we have recently, uh, you know, due to the moves and things, it's been tricky to, to really get things going and formulas done and everything with TTB. But now we're producing a nice, uh, a nice oak eight whiskey, which is basically our white mule moonshine on oak and our white mule moonshine. We do different flavored spirits that follow uh, local flavors here uh mango cantaloupe pineapple um things like that that people here tend to enjoy a, a group of drinks known as aguas frescas uh or chata which is like a rice milk with cinnamon and sugar it's a very good seller um we do a couple traditional apple pie and i do just a straight corn whiskey and uh gin we have my gin release comes out on friday the 13th we're putting up a 74 inch tv having a friday the 13th party nice <laughs> and uh releasing the white rabbit gin um which is a a pot distilled gin basically you know i go through the the process of, of creating and cleaning up the vodka and then reintroducing it back into the still and get rid of the thump keg and go straight to the pot for all of the botanicals and the maceration and make a, a very nice gin yeah. uh, and a, a nice very nice clean vodka that i actually go through that extra step and turn it into the the vodka into the gin so very cool the yeah. very very nice and a pot distilled gin it just can't be beat as far as i'm concerned uh we, yep. a guy with a pot still and a thump tank can do a lot of things that that you don't imagine if you're creative with your gear absolutely you know those those old uh pot still methodologies they still work and they uh they're still around for a reason that's for sure they taste good that's right that's right <laughs> amen amen yeah and we'll uh like i said uh, before we started recording we will get, have you on our uh our other our other show distillers talk here shortly as well um so and get all into the you know the dorkery of the spirits where because <laughs> we right. get, Christy and I go deep on that show, so we'll ask all the questions about that on there. But uh, with that history background and everything going on uh, that you've given us, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things that happened around the distillery and some of the things that you're maybe experiencing around the distillery or your workers are experiencing around the distillery. Yeah, so it is a, uh, um, I don't never, I never get like a malevolent kind of thing out of it. Um, what what happens here are kind of like a little variety of, of different things that um, it tends for me to be active in the mornings when I'm here alone. And uh, I have a little office that's maybe six and a half feet by six and a half feet that's attached to the still room. And um, the building is, of course, all wood. And then I put the stainless steel ceiling for the boiler plates out of a steam destroyer. So Part of the decor here came out of several Navy ships uh, that were uh, decommissioned and cut up here in the port of Brownsville. And I know the guys over there and basically I traded them whiskey. And I ended up getting like, uh, you know, lots of things, wheels, gauges, 
valves and stuff. So the, the distillery has this kind of steampunk thing going on all over it. And uh, I put the uh, boiler plates on the ceiling, very beautiful uh, stainless steel ceiling that I have up there that's all patterned. And so it's it's also a kind of a conglomeration of several old Navy boats, aircraft carriers, destroyers. Um, I have wow, from the USS Kitty Hawk this next week. We're building a Kitty Hawk memorial over in one of the vestibules. So, so you're, you, you're bringing you're bringing some energy in there too, for sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Probably, so all kinds of stuff comes running in here now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well, when you combine like sailors with alcohol yeah, right. <laughs> i mean oh, yeah. Yeah. well and then there's you, a reason that they call it naval strength gin right. <laughs> you have the whole uh you have the whole you know idea of water being energy as well and and you know yeah yeah man there's uh there's some yeah. doorways being opened up for sure right. we're right on the water um here you know the pirates this used to be what's known now as pirates landing the pirates landing restaurant is right in front of me and this used to be it you know it was one of the things this building used to be um and so in one form of or another this building has been inhabited in many different ways you know from being a shell shop to a hamburger stand to to a, a, a flower shop just different things um and now um of course we've restored it turned it into the distillery and uh so you know i tend to think i tend to believe that i i don't know i don't necessarily attribute every action to a person dying uh, right here it's just not how i see it but for example uh you can sit here in the mornings and then you will start to hear people talking mm -hmm. yep. you'll hear, you'll hear people conversing around the other side of the bar but if you're going over there you know it's locked there's nobody in here it'll stop, you know, and you come back and you sit down and it'll start going again. Um, so that's one of the things that I, I tend to experience in the morning, you know, um, converse, hear, listening to people talk. And you can, I can at times hear distinctly a man woman dialogue going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, sort, sort of like a energy replay sort of thing. Yeah, like a wrinkle in time, maybe. Well, and... Um, and if they're stopping when they realize you're listening, it may not even be a replay. It may actually be an intelligent haunt. It's like, oh, crap, we got caught. Right, right. We got <laughs> caught. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I'll get up and go walking over and it'll stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Or um, another thing that you you tend to have is like where we work across the bar. We have a 24-foot long, three-foot wide bar. Behemoth of a thing. Um storage is limited here so i made built that thing so big that you can get like i don't know like 46 bodies under there you <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you never know right you never know when you might need them this is texas right uh, so um you'll be down there in that in the well and this has levels it has three levels because it started out on an upper level by the street and then they they these guys were smart back at the time they'd go and they'd build a patio a deck out there and stuff and then they'd wait till the weekend when the you know the county guys were not around or whatever and then wall it in you know and build another patio and, and yep. it happened twice to this building <laughs> uh, yeah so it's decks under there and you wouldn't believe what it was to 
to a wood floor in here. Oh, I bet. <laughs> but we did it. Um, thousands of hand-driven nails and relief cuts later, I think it finally lays down. But you, you get down in that well, and as you look, there's a corner over here, which is by the office. I am in the morning, generally here, and we call it the destroyer corner, but it has pictures and models of old destroyers and pictures of sailors. And uh, there's always a, you see kind of a shadow guy that likes to jo always jo move around over there, kind of out of the corner of your eye. You never mm -hmm. catch it, but you just know he's there. Lots of people experience it, you know. Yep. Or, uh, that it's something coming up behind them. This is a, a coming up behind them thing uh, on a ramp where people are sitting on the corner of the bar. There's a ramp that was built for handicapped people. It's not a code today, but certainly wasn't that time. But uh, get the feeling and, and out of the corner of their eye and see somebody coming around on them there. And they're never, you know, there's not. Um, Things will things will pop off the bar. We've had tumblers and different things go popping off the back bar. We have shelves back there that have uh, many old antique toys, whiskey jugs, John Paul Jones whiskey bottles, and oh, cool, uh, old Henry rifles and shotguns that are 160 years old. And I, I kind of collect things, but I'm the guy that slams on the brake when I see junk in the yard. You know, hey, <laughs> seems God. familiar. Yeah, I we, yeah, I, I do that to Kim all the time. Like we'll be we'll be driving down the road. No, and I'll be we like, don't have room. I'll look at her. I'll be like, I saw rusty stuff. <laughs> it looked there. It looked like good rust. <laughs> sure. So I've got quite the collection of antique toys, trains, all kinds of things. Maybe those bring energy. I don't know yeah absolutely. well i mean if something if you find like antique toys that meant something to somebody at some point yeah, and and kids like i mean Points all of, of us are yeah. attached to a specific toy at some point in our life so you never know you yeah. never know so i i am i so you were mentioning you know it happened to you in the mornings and that's one of the things i'm curious about with you and and the workers there so we've we've noticed, for example, at Spirits of French Lick with what we experience there, it tends to be mostly in the wintertime and it tends to be when only one of us is there and either early in the morning or late at night. But mm -hmm. it's it's almost like for us, like the winter is where it gets its energy, right? Like, you know, and of course, we're 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 north, you know, in southern Indiana. So we get cold, electrically charged winters, right? Especially oh, when we have storms inside to warm up. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So you know, I, I'm wondering if, if you know, if there's certain times or certain you know weather events or anything like that where you guys have more or, well, cold, or, dry air is yeah. easier to energize. Where you guys have more or less experiences, you know? Because think about how statically everything gets in when it's cold and dry. Oh yeah. So there's so much more energy to feed, to feed off, off of. of. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, uh, I guess I've never thought of it that way or paid attention to, to that. How I don't even look at the weather because I can't change it. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, bad weather for me drives. I'm not competing with the beach usually on those days, so the bar fills up. So I'm pretty good with crappy weather. So either way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep, uh, keeps well, busy. Well, right never by the beach. Or thought of it. Yes, we're, we're right by the the, the deep water here and. As selenonates. Yeah, when it gets nasty, we get covered in salt here. Salty water conducts <laughs> electricity 
very she was, well. She was so, trying to say salinates, salinates, I think, but it didn't come out that way at all. Oh, I don't goodness. I don't know what the hell she just said, to be honest with you. That was Pekingese. <laughs> Pekingese. I make up words, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, so, yeah, tell us about some of the other, uh, other experiences um, that you guys have around there. So we have a, a guy that was here. When uh, he helped us with a lot of construction, and he, he's a cancer uh, patient, mm-hmm. and uh, he he uh, he had another guy, and they were doing stucco up there, and I always hired him a helper to help him out with with it, most everything that they on a scaffold and redoing, replacing the the front and putting stucco and leveling out the front of the building so we could put the sign and everything up there, have a hand painted on, and. Uh, um, three times that day he got down and uh, getting Jeff to get down off anything something and uh, he'd come in there and he'd say who walked in here and nobody walked in here yes somebody walked in here I saw somebody like Jeff who walked in here but three times and the last time his helper got down and said there's somebody walking in and out of here <laughs> and it's like dude there's nobody walking in and out of here um, and that was when we first got kind of thinking about it. We were still under construction at the time, you know, still kind of new to the place. Uh, and so that was kind of their experience. Um, I've never seen that. The shadow, what the, clo- the closest thing that I ever was from being in the bar well, we, you could look across the bar and back towards the, the kitchen and the processing area. We have a, a, a door there that has a curtain and... Uh, just one time we were there and I was at the bar and I looked over there and uh, it looked like the curtain moved aside up head level and there was like a black face that came around and looked real quick and darted its head back. And oh, wow. I said, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, that was what the, what I, the closest thing I saw my wife seen similar yeah so, it's 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 one thing if you know that they're there and it's another thing when they surprise you right yeah hey what's up guys it's great to be back with if you have ghosts you have everything season two you might have noticed from the show that we absolutely love to collaborate with our friends. Well, it turns out that some of our good friends in the distilled spirits industry just happened to have delved into my second favorite beverage class, coffee. But not just any coffee, barrel-aged coffee, aged exclusively in Kentucky bourbon rickhouses using unique barrels. So when I came across two unique 15-gallon chinkapin oak barrels to use for the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube, I knew that their next stop would be with John Waddell and Corey Welch of Stave and Bean Coffee Company. The first barrel was second filled with apple wood smoked malted corn whiskey for nine months before unique Brazilian beans were aged prior to their roasting. This is the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute brand. Unique, buttery, and slightly smoky. It just turns out that it pairs great with an episode of Distiller's Talk podcast. 
See what I did there? That's cross marketing. The second barrel had to have a little something special for Kim and I and be part of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. So when a close personal friend approached us about making him some homemade blackberry wine, we jumped all over it. We took that blackberry wine and we added it to that 15 gallon barrel. Then we fortified that wine with some white apple brandy to make a fortified blackberry wine, a blackberry port, if you will. Afterwards, that barrel went down to John and Corey of Stave and Bean Coffee Company, where they added some amazing Ethiopian Guji beans, giving us a fruit aroma filled spiritual experience with our coffee. For if you have ghosts, you have everything. Both of these coffees are exclusive to thealchemistcabinet.com and staveandbean.com, and they'll never be replicated again. Get yours today and enjoy it while you listen to the show. Love y'all. Later. And, uh, you know, Jada, my, my, uh, bar girl, uh, my barmaid is, uh, um, she don't like much being in here alone, you know, at night and stuff. I mean, things pop off shelves behind her and, and stuff. So you'd have to ask her about that. But those are kind of my experiences. They tend to be more sound oriented. The other thing, that, which is quite common, and this will happen when there, there are multiple people here, um, we were working, for example, in the uh, kitchen in our processing area, uh, me and the other girl, uh, Carla, and um, Jada, and you will, you will hear the door open and close and footsteps come walking in, it's five, six, seven step. Oh, wow. And we were there so we were there i heard it so i always think well there's and this happens quite a lot but you have to check because you're back here working or whatever we were on a tight ship here you know and mm -hmm. so yeah i gotta go look make sure not a customer coming through or whatever somebody can go take care of them like i go i walk out that door which is right there you know two feet from us from where we're working which comes out into the into the the vestibule, the U.S. As Kitty Hawk uh, Memorial, and you know, there's nothing there. But so I go ahead and walk on, you know, hang a right, walk on down to the first level on the the distillery floor and 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 you know the bar area and the tasting room. Nothing there, nothing there, and I make the loop and walk back around over towards the office and back into the kitchen and make a circle like that, one side of the kitchen, the other. And there's nobody in there, you know, and I got back to the girls. And I'm like, you heard that, right? You know, you heard that. Yes. And it's like, there's nothing there, you know, and then, no, it has to be said, there's nothing there. Um, you know, and that, that happened two or three times that day. Just one of those, just. Yep. Oh, Somebody yeah. visiting. In and out, you know, so I, I uh, you know, you hear that quite a lot, the footsteps and stuff and if you go to the other side of the bar to look and see whatever you want hear them back over in the dark man's corner and so it's that's kind of been our experience that's my experience for the most part anyway yeah yeah so it sounds like it sounds like you got a little bit of everything going on there for sure um absolutely especially if other people are experiencing it it's, it's always interesting to me to to see how 
different people experience it too. Cause there's, there's your experiences and then there's your workers experiences and, you yeah. know, different people are tuned to different things or pay attention to different things. Or as my, my buddy, there's uh, different levels of sensitivities to things yeah. too. And, and ask Jada about her, like I said, mine tend to be audible, um, sounds often, oftentimes the, the sound of footsteps or, or even sounds of multiple footsteps, conversation, um, you know, when I hear conversation, it's usually two people that I hear, you know, like that. It's kind of odd, but but that's what I hear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and, and sometimes as, as Jack Begadu, you know, said, Jack said something that I thought was really interesting on our second show with him. You know, some of these sometimes people are more perceptive to these things because it's in it's in the blood. Right. Right. And I think that that's that's an interesting concept for right. sure, because it, it like even with Kim and I. Like if we have experiences together, we we may have the same we experience, but we perceive different things. Yeah, yeah. right. And there's so. different levels of sensitivity, different levels of what we call clear senses, um, and just different ways that we perceive things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, yeah, any of your any of your workers that want to jump in uh, this evening as well, man, we're we're more than happy to talk to them too. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go get Jada and see if she can pull off from the bar. Appreciate it. Just one minute. Hi, Alan. Hello. Hola. This is Jada. She works here with us, and she can kind of tell you what goes on with her. Yeah. Uh, just kind of tell her what you're, you're about, and um, she can tell you. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, J yeah, Jada. Uh, good. To, good to have you. Uh, so my name is Alan. And uh, we run a, uh, a podcast called If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. And so it's all about the paranormal. And so talking to to uh, Jared uh, about the things that happened at the distillery, and he said that you've had some experiences there. And, of course, we've gotten his experience already, you know, uh, what he's experienced there at the distillery uh, and the history of the distillery. But we would love to talk to you and, and get some of what you've experienced there. And you can go as in-depth in this as you want to. And, uh, you know, however many details, whatever you know, uh, or have experience, you're not going to run into any judgment here or anything like that, because that's this is what we're all about. So, okay, um, I would say the first experience I had was maybe three months after I started working here. Um, my coworker at the time, he was sitting in this office, and I was coming from Pirates Landing. I had to do an errand over there, and um, I was walking in, and through the glass doors, I saw him talking to an older guy. And I come in and I don't see the guy anymore. And I asked him, I was like, where's the guy you were talking to? And like, who was it? And he goes, there's no guy in here. I wasn't talking to anybody. He said, oh, man. Yeah. He says he was staring like straight at me, like watching me walk through the door. And we were making eye contact. But I swear I saw like an older guy talking to him. And right. I was like, like you got to be messing with me. Like there, there was someone in here. I saw him. And he was like, nope, just me. And sure enough, it was just him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody for sure wanted you to see them. That's for sure. So, yeah. uh -huh. and so I would say that that was the first one. Um, after that, and, I... and can, can I ask you a question on that real quick? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, the, the gentleman that you saw sitting there, I mean, like, obviously it didn't like nothing like seemed off to you about him or anything. Like he didn't, you know, I, you know, people have an idea of what a ghost is in their head or whatever. Right. But like, you know, nothing, nothing initially like struck you as like, Oh, something's not right about that guy. No, not he kind of looked like just the average older guy, maybe in his early fifties. Yeah, 
like in sandals, shorts, a button-up t-shirt, just a normal guy. Really. Wow. Wow. That that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. I, I like to ask questions as I go or else I'll forget. So yeah. <laughs> so then um a little bit after I started staying uh overnight to close up the bar by myself and I would always turn down the music because I, I like to hear what's going on outside. So I would hear like, uh, we have a glass tip jar and I would always hear like if somebody was throwing coins in there. So I would be in the office and then I would just hear like somebody throwing coins and I was just me and the bar by myself, like all the doors were locked, everything. And that that's happened a few times. Um, also like uh, in the wood floors, you can hear people walking I hear that too. Uh, recently, though, it's never anything like major, but recently the curtain to, that goes to the kitchen, that curtain opened. And like it was just me here by myself closing the bar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so with any of that stuff that, that you've had happen, like what it obviously, like, you know, are, are you, are the, do you have any feelings that you associate with it? Right. Is it, does it come off as just like uh you know, it's an everyday thing. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not going to hurt anything. Does any of it ever feel malevolent or. Right. So I always tell people, I think there's like two different kinds of ghosts in here because sometimes it'll just be like, Oh, whatever. Okay. Like I hear the noise. I know you hear whatever, but sometimes like I get super anxious and like, it kind of scares me. So that's when I feel like there's a different ghost here. Nobody believes me, but it's a different feeling. Totally. Yeah. And I, I'm curious too, like when you get anxious like that about it and and obviously, you know, any, any, any rational human is going to have that response to anything paranormal. Right. But when you do get anxious about it or you get a little fearful about it, does it seem like any of that acti activity ramps up any? Uh, I would say it's about the same. It's just the feeling for me that changes. Mm -hmm. Like I can hear the coins rattling and I'll feel fine. And then maybe the next day I hear the same thing, but I'll feel like super uneasy about it. Right. Right. So do you guys, um, do you have, do you have a lot of customers that come in? And, and I know Jared mentioned this a little bit, like do, do a lot of customers pick up on this stuff too? Yes. I've had a few, uh, mostly just our regulars. Uh, we were having a little get together a few months ago and they were sitting facing the curtain and they saw the curtain move as well. And we were all like all of the, all the employees were in the bar, like up in the front. Nobody was in the kitchen. And they went over and told us like, uh, your curtains are moving. We know there's a ghost in here. Like y'all see it too. And um, some other regulars, they always sit at the bar. And this guy, he kept turning around and turning around. And I was like, what are you like? What are you looking at? He's like, no, I just keep seeing like some shadow like cross behind me. And I was like, yep, that's the ghost. Right, right. Yeah, other people see it as well. Yeah. 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 So, so do you think, uh, whatever's there, whatever the, the, the two, you know, maybe even opposed, uh, you know, spirits are, do you think they're attached to the place or maybe they're attached to the artifacts or, or, uh, you know, maybe even just the energy of the place itself? Right. So if you look up Port Isabel, it, it'll come up. It's probably like the most haunted city. I don't know, but there's a lot of like ghosts here because there was a battle here before, like back, back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is one license plate that Jared bought a few months ago. Um, that license plate would always fall. Like every morning we would come up in the bar and the license plate was dropped on the bar. Like always, all the time. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. And I, want, I wonder if there would be a way to ever trace that back to a person. That would be pretty Probably. cool. Probably. 
Yeah. You may have to may have to uh figure out his name and leave him a cup cup of coffee every once in a while or some whiskey or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta keep them happy. So yeah. so yeah. What what about any of the other the other workers there? Do they um they they tend to have a lot of experiences too or uh, well, it's usually just me and Jared. Uh, we used to have a, a co-worker that would be here with us as well. He would stay longer hours than me, and he definitely saw things as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Did he Did he have anything specific that he ever related to you that you didn't experience? or? Uh, no, pretty much the same thing, I think, it was with mine. Nice. Nice. Cool. So, so, and, of course, we get into the spirituality and stuff on this show, too, so I'm... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that you do in particular, like if you have any any ritual or anything like that that you do to, you know, kind of kind of ground yourself or protect yourself or, you know, prepare yourself for the day right. if something goes on. So, right. No, well, I am religious, so I just say a quick little prayer and that's it. Like I said, when when I feel fine, like when I hear stuff, but I'm kind of like, OK, whatever. I, I don't worry too much about it. It's when I don't feel like really safe is when I'll like say my little prayer or whatever. Yep. Yep. No, nothing wrong with that for sure. For sure. Uh, Kim, do you have any questions? So you, oh, 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 my wife is here too. She I, had to... I had to go let one dog out and the other one in. So he paused me. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, so she, she did have with the part that you missed. She did have a, um, uh, she walked in and uh, she thought that there were two gentlemen talking to one another and the other gentleman said that there was nobody there and she full on saw the other guy that was there. So it was a full on, you know, visual so, uh, apparition. A, a full bodied apparition. Yeah. Okay. Um, but nothing out of the ordinary. Like it, it looked like a normal. So you guy. couldn't, you couldn't see through him. He was solid. Right. He was solid. He was solid. Okay. Um, have you ever, you know, when things get a little crazy, have you ever thought about like pouring a glass for them and just leaving it on the counter or something like that? So in Mexico, we do a thing called Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. and they, in that day, you bring food and drinks for your family members. Right. And, you know, they come visit whatever. Um, I've, I've told my family about these stories and it's funny because they told me to do the same thing, but I, I haven't tried it. Yeah, they we, down we do in, that. Uh, we do that often on because yeah. we're eclectic spiritualists, I guess you could say, and and we do that. We leave offerings for our ancestors. The and, word you were looking for was hillbilly spiritualist. Hillbilly spiritualist. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I was going to say down at uh, in in uh, New Orleans at the Absinthe House. Mm -hmm. They they we've had do them on Distillers Talk, and uh, they had some some ghosts there, and they do pour a glass of absinthe for the ghost. Well, yeah. So. Um, yeah, those the the when I leave, let's, um, let's just hope whatever their ghosts are, they're not temperance ghosts, right? That's it. Um, <laughs> whenever I leave liquor offerings on our altar, and I we keep our house very humid because we run a wood stove, so we run a, a humidifier too. Um, but when I leave liquor offerings on our altar, liquor offering offerings and coffee altar offerings are the ones you can notice a difference in them within a 24 hour period as to the level of like, yeah, more, more than like just a, it looks like evaporation lines. Right. But like liquor will go within 24 hours from like a shot to next to nothing. Wow. Coffee will drop, you know, a, like a quarter inch yeah. every 24 yeah. they're like, hours. They, they like the liquor better. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, <laughs> 
mom and dad versus yeah. whoever else might be visiting because my parents were coffee drinkers. Okay. So <laughs> awesome. Well, well we gotta try that sometime. We'll yeah. Absolutely. And once you figure out what they like, they'll either they'll they'll start doing things like they'll do favors for you too. Like they'll leave coins and things like that. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we, we definitely appreciate your time and uh, yeah, if Jared wants to jump back on for a little bit, we'll, we'll chat with him for a minute. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, man. She was, she was great to talk to and had, had some great stories. Um, another thing I want to ask you too, Jared, because I asked her, so uh, you know, I asked her because she said, you know, she feels like there's two different kinds of spirits there too and everything. And, you know, occasionally she gets apprehensive of it. So I was, I asked her, you know, spiritually, like, is there anything that she does to like prepare herself for the day or anything like that? And, and I know it's more of a, you know, Hey, we're here at work and we're, we're trying to get through it. It doesn't matter what happens. We're going to do it. Um, but I, I am curious, Jared, if you, if you have any, uh, spiritual thoughts or anything that you, you know, that you say, like if something happens, if you got any prayers or anything like that? No. You know, <laughs> touche, touche. I I'm more curious than anything. You know, I uh, and being a skeptical guy by nature and kind of a contrarian, uh, I always try to find a reasonable explanation. Mm -hmm. You know, and I can't always do well, that. Well, and that's a logical thing to do. Like, yeah, Alan and I are weird, and and you know we. As he said, we're hillbilly spiritualists. We believe in the things that we can't see and whatnot, but we also do look for logical explanations of things. Right. Like, most most of the time, I'm going. I hope that was just a cabinet door opening because the magnets are shitty. <laughs> right. Well, and right after my mom passed away, he swears I because I was helping my brother and sister, and we were doing all the funeral planning and whatever. But within like like 24 hours after she passed. Like our back door was, the knob was turning and opening as though someone was coming oh, in the yeah. house she, and he was here sure by himself. In. She for sure came in that day. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that is a, a thing I, I I don't remember. I read a lot of stuff and, and it's what I do. And uh, I read a thing where, you know, something like, you know, 58% of people or something like that. It was a really high number for a statistic. Uh, you know, that feel like after somebody has died, a loved one or something else, they're, that, you know, they're visited by that or they get the feeling of the presence of a person, you know, of, as such. So that um, is a curious um, thing. Yes. Right. Now, yep. I, I mean, you can't say beyond all what all measure that that proves anything. No, but not at all. The fact that it, it is so commonplace certainly lends the idea to to that there is nothing wrong with scrutiny and right or, or to or or to believe that it's something that is beyond the reach of, of our, our sense right science even itself or whatever and that that's the fun of doing a show like this too is you know there's no um there's, there's no, no wrong right answer. or wrong answer <laughs> you know and and we do approach things in a manner as to debunk we do live in an old house and it is scabbed together <laughs> and, like this place. yeah right yeah. and there's not a straight or square wall or door in this house so it could have been anything right i walk That's out funny. i walk out outside every day and i'm like what fell off today 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem with our problem here, you know, with this place. It's, I think it was these damn boat makers that were making this thing because they had no idea what level and square meant. <laughs> well, then it's got to be fluid. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. You, it's got to be level if you're on a boat and the, the sea is not level. <laughs> yeah, I worked on this old this old guy once and he was redoing a crew boat, you know, and so we hired this smiling Jack to go in there and trim the damn thing out, you know, and and of course different tide and different times of the day and how the mooring of the rope is, you know what I mean? Is, is yep. all kinds of things. So there he couldn't get a damn thing level in there and have the old man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there ain't no doubt that that uh, that lighthouse has probably seen some uh, seen some shit throughout the mm -hmm. years. I guarantee it. Well, so. lighthouses are commonly yeah. commonly haunted, and usually it's the lighthouse keepers. Yeah, they're so they're so attached to that they're place and their job, it and they have a job. Their job is to protect the boats coming yeah. in. Yep. And they take that very very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I I would suspect, and this is just me, I would suspect that anywhere where you can land a boat, mm -hmm. right? It, and this could be around the world, but let's just say in the United States, right? Whether it's there, it's down in Key West or mm -hmm. wherever you have a lighthouse, right? you're going to have some stuff oh, yeah. just because well, the energy mean, and the emotion. Augustine is yeah. one of the most haunted lighthouses in the country. Right, right. And there's yeah. there's lots of proof of hauntings there. Yeah. So, Jared, I am, I am curious, buddy. Uh, outside of the distillery, have you ever had anything else paranormal happen to you in your life or... Yeah, so, you know, when I was young, we lived in a house for about four years that uh, was a very, um, it was it was a very active um, place, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, well, I would say it was malevolent to a degree. We had a 40-foot deep cistern and a, a a well that was underneath the house and um, yeah it was a strange place uh, you would hear noises there doors open close um, it was an eight-room house it's actually an eight-room house with four fireplaces and double-sided fireplaces um, an interesting house everything in it was knotty pine and oak floors and knotty pine ceiling walls and um yeah that was a an odd place it was separated two houses that were kind of separated or it was like two houses with two wings with a with a, a passage through the center and uh blood would twice of that when i was and i think at the time i was maybe 12 11 12 13 11 12 and but blood would come out of the ceilings oh wow huh and blood would come out of the ceilings and it would it would hit the floors and then it would disappear huh it would not be there it would it would dry up off that ceiling it wouldn't be there and on the floor it would it leave just faint marks if anything you know almost huh. almost like an ectoplasm sort of sort of thing right yeah. Yeah, it was twice that that happened. It was really weird, you know, and, and my dad tried to explain it. Well, what if a squirrel got in the attic? And as well, there's two different ones, and it runs all the way back up to the other one into the second floor up there, too. And, uh, you know, later on, we felt that it was a weird family. They had moved from California somewhere, and they had money when they built a house. And why they moved out in the middle of nowhere, Marion County, Arkansas, who the hell knows? Um but they built this big house it was called the damron house that was their name 
and uh, uh, the I guess everybody goes back to it. I did a couple of years back and met the the owners now, but the he even said the same lady would show up and she had to been old then and she had red hair that went down to her knees huh. and she was a weird she freaked you out because you just turn around and she'd be there right in the house boom there she is oh wow and uh that was their family house you know and it'd be like okay you know but whatever she didn't care she'd come in yeah she'd and invite herself in right in yeah uh, two or three times, and you know, while we were, you know, nice people, church people, whatever, kind of put up with it or whatever. You know. <laughs> and uh, you know, people always said, "Well, she, you know, they're weird. The Damrins were weird." And uh, they so, but anyway, she told us one day. I I told her about it, and she said, "Well, that that because it started in the kitchen and came in through the porch to the kitchen and up and through the bedroom and out to the back to the other side of the house and up the stairs. And that's where it would always end up at the top of these stairs. And she says, well, my brother hung himself from that tree there. Oh, she wow. Said, it's kind of creepy. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, uh, so it was like, huh, you know, that was, you know, I guess one of the things about the house and why people around in the hills, you know, these people were weird. You know yeah. how people are. Oh uh, yeah, especially then. You know, even more. And I mean, this, some of these people that where we came from still on party lines. So, right. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 It, it was like that where my my family's from down in Oneida, Kentucky, too. So I that yeah, <laughs> yeah I understand. Hates. Yeah, yeah. That's and you know that's that that state too has got uh, you know a long and and interesting and and violent history as well. So mm -hmm. you know, there's always. There's always stuff tied to the land, man. That's for sure. Yes. It don't ever go away. Yes. So, yeah, this too, like, it's a unique and historical place, and it has been on the, you know, radar for ever. Well, I'm sure the Indians used it a lot too. Mm -hmm. So, it's, you know, it's a point. It's out against deep water. It's, it is. It's a those you know, natural place for people to coalesce. Yeah. So, who knows? But absolutely, histor historically, it goes back you know to the spaniards yep. right yep. so my question would be like as far as it being a port city um and the spaniards coming in would any of the history of the landing of the spaniards there go tie to the alamo because well, proximity or i mean i know the alamo is like five hours away so by horse that's like days but <laughs> yeah so Alamo, well, for us, it's three hours away, three and a half. So I uh, have 200 miles, 210 miles, San Antonio. Um, I'm not sure that it was used any in that. That was Santa yeah. Ana, and, and I right. heard really the routes that they took. Um, they That was mostly big fighting up in, in central Texas. Yeah. Um, but what we had here was... Uh, this was where they unloaded uh, the supplies and stuff for for the Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. We had a we had a, a big battle here. Several, well, several around here, but one big battle just you know 14 miles from here in, in Brownsville. Um, we've had and the, so they still dig and find things and stuff here from the battle. So and this was this was this was the gathering point for where they unloaded meat and, and go out. You know. So yeah. It's been tied to wars as as well as you know, um, just 
you know, being here and old in general. Yep. It's the, right. it's the essential right. it's, inlet it's from the ocean. In, yeah. It's in the soil. Yeah. It's in the right. rocks. It's yeah. in right. the water. <laughs> right. And other than the, the lighthouse keeper's house, you know, mine is the oldest building on the mm -hmm. soil. So yeah. Well, well, Jared, if you if you would, we'll we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, brother. But kind of kind of tell people where they can find more information about your distillery and your products and all that stuff online. Sure. So uh, you can look us up and see uh, our place. We're on Facebook under Rio Grande Distillery and Magic Valley Moonshine. Uh, we also have our website, which is Rio Grande Distillery dot net. Uh, which shows a lot of our products and what we do. Um, so you can follow us there. Uh, we, we've been set up, you know, we're just coming now into our third year. So some of the things are starting to come to maturity of brandies that were done two years ago. Um, our, our white rabbit gin, which is a, a wonderful pot distilled gin. Um, our whiskey, which is coming out, our, our buckskin shine is what we call it um and our old beacon vodka so those are some products uh that we have you know if you ever get in the texas way come and see us uh and we just we'd love to have anybody that comes and, and bring your stories with you too yeah absolutely guys go check it out and uh uh check out all the spirits down there for sure and uh hey i'll throw this out there too as a distiller um you know I th texas is an exciting state there's a lot of great stuff happening with distilleries in texas and i think you're in the right place to do some really cool stuff and you've got um you got some good neighbor distillers down there for sure with the uh the iron root boys and um uh, ranger creek and all those guys they're all making good stuff as well yes sir so it's a new thing for us. I was the, I was number 50 to get a distiller's permit in Texas. I was the number 50. That's awesome. Yeah. I am um, here in Indiana. We, we, we just recently put together a guild um, re as recently as in like the past two weeks. And uh, <laughs> yeah. one of my, one of my points to them was, you know, we were, we were a historic distilling state in the top three and we're right next to Kentucky and we're letting Texas and Colorado kick our ass. <laughs> what the hell is going on? So, well, Jared, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll be reaching out to you here shortly about the other podcast, man. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. And, uh, y'all have a great night. Yes, you sir. Too. You Thank too. You. And, and happy new year. Happy new year. Take care. Later. Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the newest episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with Jared Leon Henry and his Haunted Distillery. But we wanted to give you something a little extra. We know the episode was a little shorter than normal, so we're going to jump into some haunted gravestone stories to share with you, starting with the bleeding gravestone of St. Mary's Church from HinkleyPastPresent.org. The murder of Richard Smith with the use of a halbard. St. Mary's Church of Hinckley in Leicestershire is the last resting place of Richard Smith who was killed on the 12th of April, 1727, aged 20 years old. Simeon Stain, who was a recruiting sergeant for the King's Army, had come to Hinckley and stood outside the Pig and Whistle alongside Regent Street. 
informing a crowd of potential new soldiers about the virtues of taking the king's shilling, when the sergeant suggested that the George Inn, now known as the Bounty, was named after King George II, Richard started to heckle him and said that the George Inn was actually named after the George and Dragon. Richard would not stop with his comments. The sergeant lost his temper and gave the crowd a demonstration in how to use a halberd, a type of long-handled spear with a hatchet attached. In close quarter combat, it was at this point that he struck Richard with the weapon and then left him lying on the floor in blood. Later on, Richard died of the wounds that the sergeant had inflicted upon him. The sergeant had now fled town. Richard was buried near the church wall of St. Mary's Church during April 1727. Simeon Stain was later arrested and sent to Leicester, which is where he received the sentence of death for murdering Richard Smith. Upon Richard's gravestone is the following inscription. A fatal halbert his mortal body slew. The murdering hand God's vengeance will pursue. From shades terrestrial, through justice, took her flight. Shall not the judge of all earth do right? Each age and sex, his innocence bemoans, and with sad sighs, laments his dying groans. According to local tradition, the gravestone of Richard Smith is said to sweat blood on the anniversary of his murder. A suggestion was made by F. Bedford, who researched the church and authored a guide in 1936. The gravestone used to be positioned under a block of ironstone at the chancel's east window. It was thought that the blood, quote unquote, being sweated was actually due to some sort of chemical action of water dripping from this block onto the gravestone. The gravestone has been moved away from the church wall to another location within the churchyard to preserve the gravestone. However, who are we to say that this is just a coincidence? Hey guys, Alan Bishop here, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest, co-host of Distillers Talk, host of the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute, and your host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Are you interested in the distillation of homemade spirits? We're not here to talk about the legality of that or any of the gray area. What we are here to talk about, however, is the fact that the next wave of craft distillers is made up of people like you. That's right, home distillers that are pushing the envelope with very unique recipes, very unique processes, and regionally appropriate spirits. So, if this is something that interests you, I've got something that I think you'll want to check out. My good friend Wayne Herbert at Ozark Stillworks. Wayne himself is a home distiller, and he's designed some very unique, very cool distillation process equipment. It's all modular with tricloves, etc., and you can switch it out onto any kind of boiler that has a triclove or is triclove adaptable. Two unique pieces of equipment that Wayne has already designed that I am in the process of reviewing for the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute are first and foremost the appropriately named Shocker. 
This is a external coil deflamator. So as opposed to a shotgun style deflamator, the coil on this is on the outside. It can be a two inch or a three inch model. And believe it or not, in the experiments we've already tried, even without packing or plates, you can reach proofs of 170 proof on a single pass distillation. That's pretty damn impressive. It also looks steampunk as shit. The next piece of equipment that Wayne's already got on hand, and these are ready for sale, or they can be in short order, is what we're currently calling the Mr. Fusion, in a nod to Back to the Future. The Mr. Fusion is a pot still style head. It's not quite an onion shape, it's more of a diamond. It's a beautiful piece of equipment that you'll be seeing a lot on the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute. The head itself is worthwhile for pot still distillation, but inside that head is also a small deflamator for either single pass distillation and or plated distillation and or just raising your proof and your purity. Listen, Wayne's got other stuff in the works too, including an inline, reloadable, bypassable, high efficiency, small scale thumper, unlike anything currently out there on the market. The other cool thing about Wayne is he is not afraid to answer your questions about distillation and nor is he afraid to tackle a new project. If you have an idea for a piece of equipment that does not exist out there on the market, Wayne has the fabrication skills as well as the backup with my testing at the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute to design whatever you might have in mind. If this interests you, then check out Ozark Stillworks on Facebook or drop Wayne a line at ozarkstillworks at gmail.com. Tell him that Alan Bishop sent you over. From England to my own backyard here in southern Indiana, from the Columbus Republic the 11th of July, 1999, the Angel of Angel Hill, 15-foot marble monument has created lasting impressions in Valonia by Britt Kennerly. Valonia, surrounded by soybeans in a field off South Indiana 135, the sweet-faced stone angel stands back to the road and oblivious to the passing of time and cars. The monument long called the angel on Angel Hill faces northeast in Smith Cemetery, spreading her wings as she looms over the eternal resting places of wealthy businessman Henry G. Smith, his wife Eliza, and several members of the Smith and Hunsucker families. The angel, a 15-plus foot French marble monument, placed after Henry G. Smith's death in 1887, stands vigil over a cemetery that's just south of Valonia, and the center of a field owned by Lon and Cheryl Stuckwish of Valonia. A narrow path leads through the field to the Angel and the cemetery, one of 15 known cemeteries in Driftwood Township. The tiny graveyard, surrounded by iron fencing, contains at least 35 grave sites. The Angel watches over them from atop a pedestal, clutching a flower in her right hand and a bag of flowers in her left. The angel has long been a conversational piece, an historical marker in this town of 592 people, and she's the stuff of great speculation too, most of which can't be tracked for accuracy without talking to Driftwood Township historian Edna Mae Smith, who's 73 and no relation to Henry G. Smith, 
and Bill Huntsucker, who tends the cemetery and is Henry G. Smith's great-great-great-grandson. For example, although it's never been proved, a quarter is said to be buried in the angel's hand as a testament to Smith's love of money. Jackson County and Laura Payne, 91, said she heard the quarter story from her father, Henry Schaefer, as a child. They said Mr. Smith loved money so well that he had a washpan full of coins. They said he would lie in bed and run his hands through the coins, and that's the reason they took the coin and buried it in the angel's hand. Edna Smith doesn't disagree, though she's never actually seen the coin. It's supposed to be a coin in there, Smith said. Hunsucker scoffs at the thought. That's just an old story, he said. It's not true. Other old stories, though, are accurate and fascinating. Henry G. Smith, originally from Louisville, was born June 9, 1813. He came to Jackson County in the 1840s. He and his father didn't get along well, and he came here as a farmhand and sharecropper, said Hunsucker, whose great-great-grandfather was Charnell Hunsucker, husband of Henry G. Smith's daughter, Julia. One day, a lawyer from Valonia rode up on a horse and announced that Smith's father had died and bequeathed his son $40,000. So Henry started buying a lot of land, Hunsucker said. He married Eliza Settles, a wealthy woman. At one time, they were farming about 1,500 acres in Driftwood Township. He also owned a bank at one time. He didn't have much mercy on the people who didn't pay back money. Edna Mae Smith loves the story of the angel, which she first heard from one of Henry Smith's daughters, Beldora Smith Burrell. Burrell was born in 1853 and died in 1934 and is buried in Valonia Cemetery. In the early 1930s, Burrell gave a very young Smith the story of the angel. Smith and her grandmother, Viola Wascom, lived next door to Miss Burrell on Valonia's Main Street. Miss Burrell, Smith said, was a very demanding woman who used to sit on her front porch dressed completely in white. We were very poor and my grandmother cleaned and washed for Miss Burlsmith said. She baked bread for her every Friday. The way the story goes, after Smith's death, Burl wanted a proper monument to her father, deciding on one that was shipped from Paris to New York. The angel came by train to Seymour. Burl hired teamsters to tote the monument to Valonia. Burl's flowery description of her father's monument said that she prepared a log wagon with four highly trained draft animals, took it to the graveyard, and placed it on the pedestal, as though to remain there while stars their vigil keep. Of the angel, Burl wrote, The angel's face has a look of sweetness and beauty as it gazes serenely toward Valonia as though the brooding spirit of the sleeping man below still watches and guards the town which he loved in his life. Hunsucker, 40, does his share of guarding too. A farmer, Sylvania, employee and history lover, he started caring for the property for which the family owns right of way in 1982. When I first went in, there were trees that were six and eight inches in diameter around the tombstones, he said. You couldn't see anything but the top of the angel. I said something's got to be done about this. It just wasn't fair to the people buried there. Hunsucker cut all the overgrowth down, dug out roots, and planted bluegrass, which now blazes with color. And he slightly elevated the tiny tombstones of infants, many of which were covered up and sinking into the ground. They needed to be seen, Hunsucker said. They are, 
along with a French marble angel that draws tourists and locals and those just curious about an angel surrounded by soybeans. Whenever I'm up there mowing, I'll get car after car of people stopping to ask me about it, Hunsucker said. He doesn't consider himself noble for preserving the angel's surroundings. He considers the past and the lives of those before him sacred. I just wanted to make it look nice, he said. It's family, and I'm part of the family. As always, I enjoy stories that tie into my distillation career and the history of distilling in southern Indiana. And as a little bonus to the story, I can tell you that the gentleman who has the angel statue had a son who liked to drink in the late 1800s. The son happened to go missing in the western part of Washington County. About 20 years after he went missing, a skeleton was dug out of a sand berm just down the road from Wilcox's old distillery. It could never be proven, but it is thought that the son of this Mr. Smith was the skeleton dug out of this berm. Perhaps he ran his mouth at the wrong time to the wrong people, but we'll never really know. Hey guys, if you've been following my career at all, or following the If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything podcast, you've probably also heard about my other shows, Distillers Talk, as well as the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute. One thing you may not be aware of, however, is that we actually have a separate website called thealchemistcabinet.com. And the really cool thing about thealchemistcabinet.com is we have our very own store there. It's called The Warehouse One. And you can go there right now and pick up all your Christmas gifts. Or if it's after the New Year's or even before, if you're at all into if you have ghosts or you're into the art of distillation, you can go to the Warehouse One right now and buy various different if you have ghosts, you have everything and uh, one piece at a time distilling institute apparel and or merchandise. Things such as shirts and hats and stickers and my book, The Alchemist Cabinet Philosophy, Volume 1, or the two DVDs we're currently offering. A short history of distilling in Indiana's Black Forest is delivered in a speech to uh, the Salem Depot and or the Alan Bishop Experience documentary directed and produced by Bo Cumberland and Jolie Kasperzak. There's all kinds of cool stuff over there. I even occasionally have some extra distillation slash homebrewing related materials such as staves or yeast or unique grains that I offer over there. There's going to be all kinds of new stuff coming up. Kim and I are actually working on an oracle deck specifically for if you have ghosts, you have everything and our spiritual work with this podcast and personally that'll be up before too long. So please go over to thealchemistcabinet.com and place an order. All that money obviously goes back into this show as well as into the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute, and it helps our family out. This is one of the ways that we pay for our bills and also pay for our hobbies, such as all the software we use for this podcast, etc. We really appreciate your support. We love you guys, and we'll catch you soon. May no one ever say that I don't love my county and love Southern Indiana history. 
because the last of our gravestone stories for the night comes directly from Washington County, Indiana, specifically Salem, Indiana, and Crown Hill Cemetery. From Jeremy Elliott and the John Hay Center, the story of the death of a little girl, a grieving father, and a stranger. The story of the little girl at the gate and the mysterious stranger is one that has been told many times around Salem in the past 60 years. It comes to mind again as Salem looks over its shoulder at the past and observing its sesquicentennial and Crown Hill Cemetery here. There's a remarkably detailed carving in stone of a little girl standing at a gate. In essence, that is the story of little Caddy Noggle. The bright part of Caddy's day was swinging on the front gate late in the afternoon, waiting for her father, John Noggle, to come home from his work as a stonemason and monument maker. But those happy days were soon to end. Caddy became ill and died in 1901 at the age of four. John Noggle was so disturbed by the death of his little girl that his business suffered. Then one day, an itinerant mason appeared in town and asked Noggle for a job. He was hired on the spot and proved to be an excellent mason. He soon heard about the tragic death of Caddy and felt deeply that he wanted to help the Noggles ease their suffering. Visitors to the shop soon thereafter were astounded to see a remarkable likeness of little Caddy taking shape in stone under the hammer and chisel of the wandering carver. Some details of the story are missing, and it's not clear just how the carver made such a good likeness of Caddy. However, it is assumed that he worked from a photograph and from descriptions given by friends of the Noggles. At any rate, soon the carving was complete. It showed Caddy standing by the gates, waiting for her father, just as she had done so many times. The carving was given to the Noggles and was placed on Caddy's grave. Then, as though his mission there was completed, the itinerant Mason left Salem as mysteriously as he had arrived. He was never seen again in the district. The story still is told here, but no one ever has been able to provide the name of the man who carved the statue of the little girl at the gates. I share this one with you because this one is very special to me and my wife, Kimberly. This story became more prominent in the community after several years of hibernation with Jeremy and Daniel Maine and the cemetery walk. And to this day, thanks to Jeremy and Daniel and Charity Maine and all those involved in the cemetery walk, people still take gifts to little caddy, including myself and my wife. It is the most beautiful stone that you will ever see in this world. I promise you that. Hey, we all know how hard it can be to find good help nowadays, right? So imagine my surprise when an admirer of distillation and the product thereof showed up on the doorstep of Spirits of French Lick looking to intern to work for free for me 
and I'm a bit of an asshole, to be honest with you. It surprised me as well. But the guy did such a great job that we got him hired on full time after just a couple of weeks. And he's now working as one of my new still hands at Spirits of French Lick. His name's Justin Whaley, and he's doing something really cool for those who enjoy distillation-related podcasts. He has started a podcast called Still Learning. It's kind of an audio journal where you can follow Justin's journey of learning and discovery about distillation in a professional setting. Check it out at Anchor.com and Spotify, Still Learning Podcast with Justin Whaley.